Zechariah chapter 6. So, I was just totally just in the afterglow of Sunday. Can I just tell you? The whole, the whole day, the potluck, everybody's just response, the excitement, everything. It was just, it was just awesome. And just everybody that pitched in to, to help. And it was just, it was just incredible just to see, you know, our, our community of believers just doing that. And then, of course, we get to the potluck and Lisa was sharing about, you know, we're not going to make this a, a pressure thing at all. We're just going to let the needs be known as, the, as, as they come up and just have actually some fun and enjoy to just to see how God's going to do this and bring, bring in the things that we need. So you remember, if you were here Sunday afternoon, she had that little chart with all little, you know, 300 seats and... This is how much each seat would cost, so it came to $30,000, right? I get a call from Phyllis, our bookkeeper, on Monday. She said, Pastor, are you sitting down? I said, I can. She said, $30,000 came in Sunday for the seats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and so all these emotions, you know, you're you're rejoicing, you're you're just you're grateful, and then I've got to say, just this profound, humble humility. It's like, my goodness, God, this is humbling. This is humbling what you're doing here, in and through this little church, and just can't wait to see what God continues to do. So. Thanks for being along on the ride, because can I tell you, it's going to be a good ride. going to be a good ride. Uh, if, if you want to compare these next couple months, before we actually get into the building to something, compare it to a pretty good roller coaster, because it's, it's going to be fun. It's just like God even prepared me, like, just hold on, Jeff, because here we go. Because, uh, yeah, it, it's coming. All right. Zechariah chapter 6. We begin to take a turn here tonight, and we'll really take a turn, a pivot point next week. But this is the last of the visions that Zechariah the prophet receives. And you remember that he's receiving these visions so that the people of God will be encouraged and stirred to continue the work of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. And yet, they're facing lots of challenges both from within and without. And it's been a long time. It's been a long, hard slog, if you will. It's been an unrelenting hardship that just has continued over a long haul. And the reason I want to point that out is sometimes in our life, and this is why we can you know, apply this to our life, sometimes in our life we find ourselves in a situation that's pretty difficult to navigate, and it seems like we just have to stay in that situation. Nothing is changing too much, and the circumstances aren't changing, and we've just sort of got to ride in that situation for a pretty long time. 
How do we, how do we do that without falling into despair and discouragement? How, how do we keep our attitude well? How, how do we be encouraged and, and, and strengthened in, in the midst of this, you know, times where we might have constant unremitting hardship in our life and, and continue to face one challenge after another? Believe it or not, the answer may surprise some folks. But Zechariah receives the answer from God. And that is the number one thing that will sustain us during hard times is the doctrine of God. It is God himself. It is knowing who God is and what he is that will absolutely sustain us. And the number one thing you find in the first eight verses of Zechariah chapter 6 is that Zechariah is being told himself, and then God wants to communicate this to the rest of the people of God, that I'm still on the throne. That I am the God who rules over the universe. And you must just continue to remind yourself of that when everything around you seems chaotic, when everything around you seems out of control, when everything around you seems to be maybe going the wrong way, you need to remind yourself that I, God, am always on the throne. Listen to the words that are given to Zechariah once more. I looked, and this time I saw four chariots emerging from between two mountains of bronze. Harnessed to the first chariot was red horses, to the second black horses, to the third white horses, and to the fourth spotted horses, all of them strong. Then I asked the angelic messenger who was speaking with me, What are these, sir? And the messenger replied, Well, these are the four spirits of heaven that have been presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. Please mark that. God is the Lord of all the earth. The word Lord there speaks about Him ruling and reigning over the universe that He created. The chariot with the black horses is going to the north country. The white ones are going after them, but the spotted ones are going to the south country. All these strong ones are scattering They have sought permission to go and walk about over the earth. The Lord had said, go walk about over the earth. And by the way, this phrase, go walk about over the earth, describes God's dominion, authority, and sovereignty over his creation. I'm walking about over what I have created, what I control, what I rule and reign over. So these are doing so. Then he cried out to me, look, the ones going to the Northland have brought me peace about the Northland. What you have here is a picture of chariots and horses and spirits, which I believe are angelic beings that are presenting themselves before the Lord, used as his instruments to literally go out in whatever direction God sends them. And what Zechariah is seeing is just how God sort of governs the universe from heaven. And how he has at his disposal everything. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord who rules over all. And he is the Lord of the earth. And so you have these chariots and these horses being sent out by God. Let me go back to that first point. 
Because it's a major one in this chapter. When you and I begin to get discouraged, especially when we find ourselves in a situation that seems to be going on for a long period of time and nothing is changing, and we can tend to start letting our attitude slip, God says the thing that will sustain you through the hardest, most difficult times of your life, especially when you're in some season of maybe suffering or trial and unremitting hardship, is you've got to remember who I am and what I am. And that I'm still on the throne. I am still in control. I'm still running the universe. And though you may look at your life or maybe things around you and go, well, it's pretty chaotic down here and it's pretty out of control down here. And it will be on earth. Because what we are seeing on earth is the consequences of man in rebellion against God. But that doesn't mean God has lost control or lost his grip on anything, including us. And we must always remember that he is the God who rules and reigns. Always on his throne. Never abdicated it. He's always been there and he always will be there. He doesn't give it up to anybody. Nothing takes him by surprise. He knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. In fact, this is actually the very foundation and basis of prophecy. How can God tell men and reveal to men what is going to happen Ten years from now, a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, a million years from now, unless he's in control of it. The only way that God and prophecy make sense is when our God is in control. When he is running things. When he is on his throne. Prophecy wouldn't have any meaning to us at all and certainly wouldn't provide any kind of comfort or assurance or affirmation to us unless we knew that God was in control, that he was ruling. And so that's the main thing. But as I studied this and as I meditated on this, there was a couple other things that I thought would apply to us tonight from this. In the Bible, God does use chariots and horses it's a reminder again of just part of his creation that he uses to go out into the world. And one of the things that I saw was this. Remember these chariots and the horses. And then in verse 5, it also identifies these four spirits of heaven. Again, I think that this is referring to God's messengers, the execution, uh, ex executors, <laughs> of his will, and I believe that these are angelic beings that are literally presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. Saying, in verse 7, God, can we go and walk about the earth? Can we go here? Can we go there? We just want to do your will, God. You, you see this, this, not only the sovereignty of God in this chapter, but you, you see this, these servants of God who are literally like, God, we, we want to we want to serve you. Send us out. Here we are. Send us, you know, type of thing. And it reminds us that if God is the Lord of all the earth, he doesn't need angels and he doesn't even need humans to, to keep things into control. But he chooses to use us. He chooses to allow us to serve in his 
kingdom and, and in his universe. He gives us that privilege and that opportunity because he's God. And you see that here. In fact, a couple verses I want to share with you that speak about, I think, the spirits of God send out. If you go to the book of Hebrews, real quick, to Hebrews chapter 1, a couple very familiar verses there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7. He says to the angels, he makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Then look at verse 14 of Hebrews 1. Are they, speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who will inherit salvation? By the way, that's you and I. The, the primary, I think, mission of angels is in direct correlation to us in our lives. And many times we don't even see it or know it. In fact, the writer of Hebrews even says, be careful how you entertain a stranger because you might be entertaining an angel and not even know it because they can appear in human form as they did throughout the Bible. And then one of my favorite passages I've taken you here many times before is 2 Kings chapter 6. It's the story of Elisha and his servant. And Elisha and his servant are surrounded by this great company in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And this great army is surrounding them. And I'm just going to read 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. The prophet's attendant, named Gehazi, got up early in the morning, and when he went outside, there was an army surrounding the city, along with an army, or along with horses and chariots, which is very interesting. He said to Elisha, Oh no, my master, what will we do? There's this huge army out there. And notice what Elisha's response to his servant was in verse 16. Don't be afraid, for our side outnumbers them. Now, remember, big, huge army, two people. Our side outnumbers them? Read on, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the hill was full of what? Horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Just like in Zechariah, I'm sending my chariots and horses out. All different colors and all of that, but they're my servants and they're watching over my people. And they're doing my will and they're walking about all the earth in whatever direction I send them because I am the ruler of all the earth. God wants us to adopt that heart of service towards him, just like the angels who present themselves before the Lord and basically say, here I am, Lord. What would you have me to do today? How can I serve you today? Because when we understand who God is, and that he is the Lord of all the earth. We sang about his majesty tonight. We need to be reminded, what's, what's that mean? His majesty is simply his attributes, his perfections, his excell excellence, I can't talk, excellencies put on full display for us to be able to see. That's what his majesty is. And so you can imagine when you and I truly understand who God is and that he rules and reigns, and, but he, he wants to use us and he's willing to use us, my goodness, why 
Shouldn't we be like the angels who present ourselves before the Lord each and every day and say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? How can I serve you? How can I minister for you? Because you are this great and glorious God. And you rule and you reign all over all the universe. And yet you know me. You know me by name. You want to use me. You want me to serve you. You want to give me that privilege and that opportunity. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. So you see the sovereignty of God here in this chapter. You see service for God. And then I love this. Because any and all who serve God, God will make them strong. Because notice a couple times here in this chapter, in verses 3 and verse 7, it, it points this out. And in the Hebrew, it's actually emphasized. When he talks about the chariots and horses, then he says at the end of verse 3, all of them strong. It's like that impressed Zechariah when he saw the vision. The, these weren't wimpy looking horses. These were like Clydesdales. They were strong horses. And these were strong chariots. They, they looked strong. Why? Because they were going out in the name of the Lord. And then he talks about the spirits. Because in verse 7 he says, all these strong ones are scattering. And he's not only talking about the chariots and horses there. That phrase is also referring to the four angelic messengers that are presenting themselves before the Lord from verse 5. Strong ones. And, and why I wanted to bring this up tonight was because when you and I are willing to do what God wants us to do, God will make us strong to be able to do it. God will make us strong. Because everyone that God sends out, He will give us the strength that we need. And let me show you this even from another place in Scripture. Keep your finger there and then we'll come back and finish out chapter 6 in the next 15 minutes. Go back to the book of Jeremiah, to Jeremiah chapter 1. The great prophet Jeremiah. I want you to see what God says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. He's commissioning. He's, he's calling Jeremiah to be a prophet to his people. And of course, Jeremiah, like a lot of people in the Bible, like, oh God, you got the wrong guy. I, I'm not your man, you know. That, that, that's not for me. Because Jeremiah was going to have a tough assignment. He was going to go to a people that God even told him, they're not going to listen to you and they're going to give you tons of trouble. But I'm going to make you strong because I'm sending you in my name. You're going to do what I ask you to do. And if you're willing to do it, I'll make you strong in order to do it. So go with me to Jeremiah chapter one, begin at verse 17. You, Jeremiah, get yourself ready. Go and tell these people everything I instruct you to say. Do not be terrified of them, or I'll give you good reason to be terrified of them. <laughs> I, the Lord, hereby promise, notice this, to make you as strong as a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. You will be able to stand up against all who live in the land, including the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all the people of the land. They will attack you. But they will not be able to overcome you, for I will be with you to rescue you, says the Lord. See, when God sends out His people on an assignment, when He gives us a calling, an, a, a commission, when, when He tells us that He wants us to do something and we follow Him, He will make us strong in order to do it. And you see that here with the servants of the Lord presenting themselves before the Lord in Zechariah's last vision. 
What will sustain the people of God in unremitting hardship? Knowing that God rules and reigns. He is the Lord of all the earth. He is sovereign. He's in control. He's never lost control and he never will. And even in our lives sometimes, when we look at at our human lives and and even the situation on earth and, and see it seeming to be so chaotic and out of control, God's still in control. And that's what will sustain us. And then he sees this great picture of the service and the strength of God's servants in the first eight verses. But then we switch. And I want you to go back to Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 9. Because from verse 9 through the rest of the chapter, Zechariah now doesn't get any more visions. In fact, now he's being asked by God to basically direct an earthly drama, theater, a play that's going to act out how God is going to build his kingdom. How's God going to do this? You've given us, Lord, all kinds of encouragement, but but now you want to actually tell us sort of the pieces to this puzzle of how you're going to build this great coming kingdom. So notice, verse 9, the word of the Lord came to me as follows. Choose some of these people, and it's very, very important that these were people from exile. They had been in exile. We'll get to that, why that's important in just a moment. He says, when you have done so, go to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, take some silver and gold and make a, literally, a double crown. That's what it is in the Hebrew. And set it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. Then say to him, the Lord who rules over all says, look, here is the man whose name is Branch who will sprout up from his place and build the temple of the Lord. Indeed, he will build the temple of the Lord. And he will be clothed in splendor, divine majesty, sitting as king on his throne. Moreover, there will be a priest with him on his throne, and they will see eye to eye on everything. The crown will then be turned over to Helem and these other people, and they will put it as a memorial in the rebuilt temple of the Lord. That's important. Then, those who are far away will come and also build the temple of the Lord so that you may know that the Lord who rules over all has sent me to you. Thus will all come to pass if you completely obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see... God wants to make this so real to Zechariah and to the people that he literally says, now we're going to do a drama. We're going to act this out. I, I want you to, 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 to feel this and to get it by acting it out. I don't want to just speak it to you. I, I want you to see this actually go on. And what is happening here is that Josiah is actually sort of being uh, put in place of the coming Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the branch. We've talked about him already in the book of Zechariah. So this isn't about Joshua, the high priest. It's about him taking sort of the the part of the coming branch, the descendant of the line of David, who would be the Messiah, who would build his kingdom, and who literally would be two in one. He would be both the prophet, or excuse me, the king, and he would also be the priest which is why the double crown was symbolizing how in this one person, those two sort of state church would actually be united in perfect balance. That's what you have in Jesus. And that's what this earthly drama was sort of playing out here. 
This is how God's going to bring it all about. He's going to bring the branch to earth. And the branch is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that priest and king that will rule and reign over his kingdom. But what we also are learning here in these verses is that before he literally rules and reigns over an earthly kingdom, he's going to start building a spiritual kingdom. And you and I are part of that. In fact, one of the reasons why even Zechariah is being given direction by God to take this crown now that was sitting on Joshua's head, that was this double crown that symbolized king and priest, and put it in the rebuilt temple when it gets built as a memorial, as a reminder, was because when the people of God came into the temple and saw that crown, that would encourage them that their Messiah was coming. And that one day he literally was going to have a kingdom on this earth. And that he would rule and reign. And that the the rule and reign of God that now is taking place sort of invisibly or behind the scenes, that one day it would be very visible and out there manifested for everybody to see. And hopefully as they saw that crown, they would be encouraged. I think to myself, that's why God sometimes wants us to mark things in our life. And literally have things that we mark, that that we can go back to and be encouraged by. Maybe it's verses of scripture. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that someone gave us or that God gave us some some insight or something. And we can literally go back and and read those things or, or be reminded of those things so that we can be encouraged. Like, oh yeah, I, I, I remember that now. It's important that we do that at times. That we have certain, you know standing stones like they had in the Old Testament. Like when they crossed the river and and God said, now I want you to take these stones out of that river and I want you to build a a standing stone, a memorial of what happened here so that you won't forget it. We carry that over into the New Testament where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Because so easily we can start to forget things and we need to be constantly reminded of it. And so it's good for us to have memorials, things that we go back to to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Again, maybe it's something that someone else has done. Maybe it's something that God has done. But we need to have those in our lives. But then I love this. Because this is where you and I fit in here as well. I want you to go back to verse 12. Where again, Josiah is picturing this branch that is coming. And, and meditate on that sometime. Why is Jesus called the branch? You know, that, that seems so, again, well, a branch isn't very strong, and, and it even says he'll sprout up. But there's a lot of meaning in the fact that Jesus is called the branch, who will literally, out, out of him will come this everlasting group of people and, and kingdom. But it starts out as what? A branch. But notice it says, he will sprout up from his place and build the temple of the Lord. And then he repeats it. Indeed, he will build the temple of the Lord. And what Zechariah again is being reminded of is first, when Jesus comes as the Messiah, but he comes first in Bethlehem as the humble child, lives on earth, dies for our sins, that he's not building a literal, physical, earthly temple at that point. He's building now a spiritual temple, if you will, that you and I are all, as believers in Jesus Christ, a part of. And that we, by being part of that temple, also are helping to build that temple too, so that in one day when Jesus comes back to this earth, 
and literally builds his literal kingdom, then the spiritual kingdom becomes the literal, physical, visible kingdom. And I want to take you to a couple New Testament passages that really give us insight into this. Ephesians chapter 2. Do you know you're part of what God is building and it started all the way back even with Zechariah and even before that? And that's what God wants His people to see. It's like we're part of something so much bigger than ourselves and that we can be part of building this along with Him because, yes, the branch is going to build it, but did you notice later on in chapter 6 it says, oh, and those who come from far away will build it too? And that's why it was important to have the exiles because they came from a far distant country back to their homeland and they were going to rebuild their temple. But it also prefigured and pictured the fact that Gentiles outside of the nation of Israel would one day come and be part of God's kingdom as well. Those who were far away. That's even what the wise men in the Gospels who came to Jesus even at His birth, they were, they were symbolizing how people would come from very far away, not even part of the original people of God, and they would all be part of the same kingdom under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verses 20, 21, and 22. Paul says, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We're going to talk about that verse, by the way, when we get to this passage of Scripture several months from now in our study of the Holy Spirit. But don't miss what he's saying there. You and I are being taken by God as believers in Jesus Christ and we are being built together, connected together by God so that we all can be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. What a picture that is. And then look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. This verse always has sort of stuck out to me because the very first church that my parents and I were part of was called Living Stone Church of the Brethren. I, maybe you didn't know, I grew up at Brethren. Um, but the name of the church was Living Stone. And, and I used to have even people like, well, where, where do you get that in the Bible? Where? First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Look at what it says. You yourselves, speaking to believers, are living stones. Why are we called living stones? Because we are part of something that God is building. He's building a temple now. It's you and I. And it's being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what God wants us to see is, look, the Messiah, the branch, is building a temple. And you and I, each of us, are a living stone in that temple. We are part of that building that God is making. And what God wants us to to open ourselves up to is to be part of what He's building. In other words, that as part of the building, we can also be building up others and, and helping to add to the temple and to strengthen the temple and to make it strong and to connect it and and to to make it this great edifice, if you will, to the glory of God, which is why then 
as we close tonight, if you go back to Zechariah chapter 6, the very last verses, so that you may know that the Lord who rules over all has sent me to you. When you start to see those who are far away coming to help build the temple of the Lord as well, this will all come to pass if you completely obey the voice of the Lord your God. He's not saying that somehow God's work is dependent on us. What he is saying is this to us, that we will have a greater share in building this temple that God is creating right now on earth if we listen to the voice of God. That's what it's saying to us. Just as it did in Zechariah's day. Just as these spirits and these chariots and these horses were privileged and had the opportunity to serve the God who rules over all the earth. Zechariah is reminding us as the people of God, even in the New Testament, that God is giving us the privilege and opportunity to serve him, to be part of a living stone and then to be part of a spiritual house in which his Holy Spirit dwells. And that you and I can be part of continuing to build this temple, if you will, unto the Lord But it's going to take us being willing to listen to the voice of the Lord. So the last thing I want to leave us with and have us thinking about as we leave here tonight is this. Am I hearing the voice of the Lord? Am I hearing the voice of the Lord? Because I cannot follow him. I cannot serve him. I cannot be part of being a living stone in this spiritual house, this dwelling place of the Spirit of God, if I can't hear His voice. And God wants us to hear Him clearly so that we can follow Him and be part of what He is doing. What a great encouragement to the people of God back then. But what a great encouragement to us thousands of years later, because guess what? You and I are smack dab right in the middle of that. Because His earthly kingdom that one day he's going to rule and reign over has not come yet we've got to go through obviously the rapture and the tribulation and all that but one day one day the bible teaches in the prophets of the old testament and even in some passages in the new testament that jesus christ will rule and reign from this earth for a thousand years in his millennial kingdom and during that time the temple literally will be rebuilt and jesus christ will literally sit in the temple of jerusalem and will rule and reign the earth from there and you and i will rule and reign for a thousand years on earth with him that's before we even get to eternity that's even before god destroys this heaven and this earth because it's been tainted with with sin and all of that and creates a new heaven and a new earth for us for all of eternity we get to live a thousand years on earth with jesus christ ruling and reigning on this earth something to look forward to something to sustain us in these days in which we live, where we look around at the world and go, my goodness, this world is falling apart. It's, it's so chaotic. It's, so, it's in crisis. And yes, it is. But never forget, God is on his throne. And God's prophecies and God's plan will one day be fulfilled. And you and I are going to be a part of it. Because he wants us to be a part of it. He wants us to be those very alive stones in the midst of this great temple that he's building. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the encouragement that you give in order to sustain your people, sometimes through a long 
time of hardship and trial and suffering. God, help us not to get caught up in always what's going on now, but to be able to look past that at times to what's coming. I know, Lord, I, I had to learn that lesson over and over again through these years here at Basha, where I knew, God, that one day you were going to bless us and give us a place of our own and all of that, but it just seemed like it was so long sometimes in coming. And yet, God, here we are. And God, even in that, you have some great things planned for us ahead as well. Not just physical, but spiritual things. Blessings and favor that you want to pour out on us. The experience of your spirit at a whole other level. And God, help us to just continue to listen to your voice so that we may experience and be part of all that you want to do with us, God, as a body of believers. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday or next Wednesday.